Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to empower you to live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J. I'm also a coach and the founder of Core30. I'm really excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is a presenter, model, qualified health coach, and the founder of Test Talks. Welcome to the show, Tess Shanahan. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I feel like, you know, we haven't seen each other for a really long time. No, not since you used to teach me Pilates. That's right. Back in the day. Back in the day. And I think it was a few across a few like different studios too, right? Yeah. It was mainly at KR in Melbourne on Chapel Street. And PP, I think I saw you there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's been a while. I know. So I'm happy that we get to connect in person. Me too. Um, So Obviously, you're very successful in your career as a model, but you're also really passionate about women's wellness. Mm. So I kind of wanted to get into what drew you into working in the health and wellness space, um, especially with Test Talks and what you do with your work with those wellness events. Yeah. I mean, I've always had such a passion for health and wellness. And I think it stemmed from my parents because I grew up with very holistic and alternative parents who, you know, had me on Chinese herbs when I was young and sick and um, yeah, always taking those kind of alternative routes, but always with the ultimate goal in mind of like optimal health. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I kind of grew up around that and it was really important to me and especially after a few of my own experiences um, needing to work on my health. Um, but I guess with how my modeling career evolved and, um, kind of getting that more growth on Instagram with followers and stuff, I kind of started thinking, how can I actually turn this into something that I feel like I'm giving back or sharing ideas that are really important to me and that I think need to be spoken about more, um, and that's where the idea of test talks kind of came from. So it actually started as like a blog where I'd just like share ideas around like topics. And it wasn't just women's wellness. It was also like business and motivation and inspiration, um, just things that I thought were thought provoking and needed to be talked about. So the blog started when I was probably like 18, I'd ride away at night and, you know, really cute as it does. <laughs> um, but then I had a friend hit me up who was doing marketing for a few restaurants and he was like, would you like to have an event with us? Um, we just like to get some exposure and some people in. And I was like, okay, cool. But how do I like entice people to come? Like, what could I do? And then I was like, oh, what if I brought Test Talks to life? Um, and yeah, the first event we had was probably two, probably three years ago now. Wow. Um, and it was just so nice. Like it was it was a motivation, inspiration one. And I just remember when everyone left at the end, they were just so grateful and, you know, had so much motivation and drive to go forward. And just receiving that feedback, I felt so um, uplifted. And, you know, you always hear people say, you know, do something that is an act of service, um, you know, to, to really, that's how people talk about, you know, ultimate happiness kind of thing. And I'd always thought about that, but I was like, what could I, what could I do? Like, you know, yeah. And that was like, I think the first moment that I felt like I was giving back, yet I was also learning and I was, you know, doing something important to me. And so that's kind of where it started. And amazing. now we've had like seven events and the women's wellness ones have been amazing. It's yeah. just, it's just so nice to get like-minded women together and talk about things that might not be commonly spoken about and normalize it. hundred percent. I think too, like, especially now with COVID and everything, like connecting with people in person is so important Mm. and being able to share those ideas, like you said. I think being able to have that mind frame of of giving back and like Mm. uh, being of service, I feel like doesn't, don't don't you feel like that just makes everything more fulfilling that you do like everything else in your life kind of? Totally. And I think also in our society, we've really become the the me or the I kind of society. So, you know, we work a lot on self-development and that's our focus. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm, you know, a big believer in self-development. But I do also think that there does come a time where you can go so far inwards or focusing on you that it can almost have the opposite effect. And when you actually put your energy externally and onto other people, the importance doesn't become about you, but about making people around you happy. And then when you see that, what you feel from that is like immense gratitude and immense happiness. And so sometimes it's almost flipping that 
coin that we've become so conditioned to think self-development must be the best version of me, da-da-da. What if I could make other people around me the best version of them and how will I feel when I do that? that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a really great point because we do, like you said, live in such a culture that is, I mean, especially with, you know, social media and everything, you know, we're so focused on ourselves and presenting ourselves in a certain way and definitely I feel like, yeah, that focus on the other definitely makes things more enriching, I guess, you know. 100%, yeah, yeah. and social media has been a massive player in directing that mindset and they call us what the selfie generation you know like it's it's a horrible label that we have actually I know (laughs) I know it's not ideal that's our mark on the world like I know but I I, there's there's definitely a shift I think I mean like for example something that I've noticed is I feel like that whole world of filters Mm. is like turning around now people want to see the authenticity and people don't want to see the filters and and they want to see like you know your blemishes and your rawness and they don't want to see your highlight reel and and it is shifting and I think people have found that they need that because we've seen what it what it does when we go too far the other way and it's not the direction we want to keep going yeah definitely Um, it's definitely hard with how prevalent social media is in our lives and and also wanting to display a highlight reel because, I mean, who doesn't? You know, you want to display the best things. But I think that rawness and that authenticity amongst it is is super important. And I am really glad that we are starting to slowly see that come yeah. through. Yeah. Um, I think being vulnerable is, is sometimes quite, you know, it's scary, you know, to be open and honest and share those parts of yourself that aren't necessarily what you think maybe people want to see or like is the perfect version of whatever it is that we're doing. So it, it is a nice thing to see that it is slowly shifting. I mean, and to be conscious of that too, that 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 there are parts that are highlights and, mm. you know, people are going to share what they're comfortable sharing and when yep. they do like that's to be applauded too because it's exactly. it's a huge thing, right? Exactly. And and that's kind of the one nice thing about social media is that you can start to build those communities when you do, you know, feel like you want to share those things or if you want to look for people who have had similar experiences to you, those those um, those groups are, are more easily accessible now, yeah. um, which is really, you know, which is one great thing about social media. But it is so hard to get to that point. I mean, I've had my own um, vulnerability journeys um, that I did not speak about at all on social media because they were so confronting to me um, that I couldn't, you know, it was even hard enough for me to face it and go through with it, um, let alone having to, you know, flaunt it to, you know, 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, However, when I got to a state where I was confident um, in my journey that I'd been on and had learnt my lessons... I felt, and this is only recently, you know, I'm ready to start talking about this mm. and, and sharing it and, and hear other people's experiences in it and, and create that normality around it. Yeah, 100%. As you've been working as a model as well, I feel like this is such a front-facing role, um, not only on social media, but obviously you're in front of the camera a lot. Mm. And one of the things that I feel... I mean, this is one of the things that you can give some, I guess, insight into being on the other end of it. And I guess in a way, almost everyone is a model these days because of Instagram, but you do it professionally as your Mm. career and you've been doing it for a long time. So I'm really curious to know what your experience has been in terms of, you know, have you ever felt pressure from the industry or just being a model in general of having to look a certain way or in terms Mm. of your body image and that kind of thing? What has been your yeah. experience? And there is no doubt that the industry comes with these things. And I definitely do think it has changed over the past five to ten years. Like mm-hmm. they are trying to get a bit more um, morals, I guess, in the industry. <laughs> um, but, you know, it it definitely has it, – it, it has been tough in different ways. And I have a lot of friends in the industry who have had significantly tough times. Mm. Um where I am so grateful is that my parents raised me to have such a strong mindset. So it was very difficult for me to be thrown off my guard and to take someone else's opinion as gospel. But if you are not completely like strong and centered in yourself, it is so easy to get thrown around um, from all the different experiences that you have, all the comments like, 
for example, I remember my first agent when I was probably, it was probably the end of high school. So I was just starting to develop a bit more into a full female body. My face is getting rounder. And I'd already been modeling for a few years at this time. And she said, you know, I think you need to start chewing chewing gum at least three times a day so that we can keep your jawline chiseled. Oh my God. What? I was like, are you? That is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. And I just laughed at all being, this is so ludicrous. Oh my gosh. But I have friends who were told similar things and it just like got straight to their head. And obviously when you want to do well in your career, you listen to those people. And, and especially at a younger age when you haven't, um, developed those uh, mentalities or that strength to kind of be like, you know, stand up for yourself and be like, no, that's not right. Or, you know, different shoots I'd been on where they'd expect me to basically get nude when I was underage, you know, and it's really hard for a young person or sometimes for anyone to speak up like that. Um, So it's definitely tough. And that's where I think um, a lot of the self-care kind of practices um, or the self-reflection stuff that I've been raised to do came uh, in hand and was so relevant to me at that time. Um, you know, like, for example, I've meditated for, you know, since I was quite young and even having that around to recenter myself and remember, like, who I am and mm-hmm. what is most important to me kind of helps you have that strength in those environments to kind of say no yeah, and to realise the importance of that and, and that you're, you're, you're your own individual human being, you know, what you want to do is what you want to do. You have every right. And, yeah. Um, so things like that help me a lot. But the industry is tough and that's where I think it's really important for us to keep, you know, having these conversations around um, what is right and also how to have your own strength yeah. um, within it. And then furthermore, I um, went through some health issues in my early 20s when I felt like I was at the best kind of part in my career and I was working so much and and traveling and I randomly um, basically broke out in acne. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my personal experience was with that was because I came off the contraceptive pill. I'd always had great skin prior, um, even before going on the pill all through high school and had totally taken it for granted. I didn't really have to do much to look after it. I'd just slap a bit of Clearasil on my face and, <laughs> um, you know, I was good to go. Um, but yeah, coming off it, my skin and my hormones just went wild. Yeah. And it's been a three to four year journey of trying to manage that. And because of my upbringing, going back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast, I was so adamant to figuring out what the root cause of it was Mm -hmm. and rebalancing that as opposed to kind of suppressing it with maybe antibiotics um, or going back on the pill like my doctor recommended. Um, I just really wanted to get to the root cause. And that was a core reason of what delved me even deeper into my uh, my health coaching um, practice and my own personal journey around health, um, just to really learn more about the body and what it means to me and what it's what my body is trying to tell me. And I've only just started going public with this story, um, but I can now say that I'm so grateful for that time happening to me because even though it was one of the toughest things when it's my career firstly first and foremost and it's so in your face and you can't escape it it affects everything and everyone has something to say about it so it affects your career then it affects your confidence and your emotional state Um, anyone who has suffered bad skin knows that it's not just about the skin like how it gets to you on a deep emotional level is really quite confronting and it's a big journey for anyone but now I'm at a point where I can say I'm so grateful for it because I've learned so much about my body that I wouldn't have learned otherwise otherwise yeah having not gone through that experience exactly exactly right um and when you get to that point I think of acceptance and almost like gratitude, everything shifts. And yeah. that was even part of my skin healing journey is when my mindset around that changed. Yeah. Um, so what did you actually do in terms of when that happened? Because I know a lot of women experience this when mm. they come off the pill, their hormones fluctuate. And there's mm. a variety of different symptoms that people can get because your hormones have been out of whack for however long you've been on the pill. Mm. Um, and then your body to rebalance those hormones again, you know, things, different things happen. I know for me, it took like a year to kind of 
feel normal in mm, a way. Mm. So what was the things that you sort of learnt about the internal health part that affected your skin essentially? What were the things that you sort of figured out that you needed yeah. to shift? I mean, there are so many different elements and that's the other thing about skin is that there are so many different causes of breakouts, whether it's like hormonal or bacterial or inflammation or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so the journey for me was huge. Um, firstly, I did a lot of like internal healing around like gut health, um, around diet. So I was doing like um, a few blood tests, which would tell me like what foods I was or wasn't intolerant to. I then, um, sorry for the crudeness, but did a stool test, which unfortunately I think I left way too long to do, but that was super, super um, informative and basically read my whole gut microbiome and basically told me there was one really important bacteria that I had nothing of. Yeah. Um, so I did that. Then I started working with um, naturopaths and, um, you know, kind of more holistic doctors. And that's where I got a lot of guidance around more of the acceptance part of it mm -hmm. and actually trying to change my mindset from waking up and looking at it in the mirror and being sad or angry about it to trying to be grateful and actually sending love to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big, big believer in mindset mm -hmm. and power of the mind. I'm really fascinated in like this is something I'm reading about at the moment is um, placebo. Mm -hmm. um, placebo is normally the things in trials that we ignore. We're like, oh, that's just placebo. It's the outlier. It's not important but placebo is actually the thing we should be looking at because it's mm -hmm. like why is that thing happening as the outlier what is the common denominator of why this um, spontaneous healing is happening or whatever mm. and my personal belief is that a lot of it comes down to mindset yeah and I do feel like once I'd shifted my mindset around it the aggravation did settle mm -hmm. um but that was a huge like practice. Like it's very, very hard to when something is so in your face, literally, to actually say that to it. So it was it was a practice of every day. Like it's almost like retraining your brain and your thoughts to think another way. And mm -hmm. you have to really like believe it. Mm. So it's a constant push. And there were so many times that I was like, oh. I can't be bothered with this anymore. I'm so mentally exhausted and it's affecting my career. Mm. I just want to get on Royal Acutane. And you know what? Some people that's great for and that's their journey. I personally, I just didn't want to. Mm. Again, kept reminding myself of that bigger picture and that root cause. Um, and after time, you can almost trick your brain. And I think that's where the placebo kind of mm. comes in and you yeah. start believing it. Um, and I think that was pretty like fundamental in my like healing journey. And then of course there was all the external stuff with like now what, how I look at food is like, it nourishes my body. Whereas like five years ago, I'd go out every weekend and drink and like, it wasn't like unhealthy, but I wasn't like super cautious around mm. health. Um, and now, every time I look at like food that I'm putting in my body, I, I consider like, what is that doing for my body? I hate putting sugar into my body these days. Yeah. And yeah, there are times when I just do and, you know, of course, sugar is delicious. Um, love a little dessert here and there, but I would almost so much rather like a yummy, like a bowl for dessert mm -hmm. because I know like how good it's going to make me feel. And something that I learned during my health coaching practice was this great way of looking at the body. And it was kind of like, are we looking at the body like a machine, like individual parts that need to be fixed or altered or dealt with and, you know, something goes wrong so we just tweak that little part yes. to try and fix it? Or are we looking at the body like a garden where everything is like interlinked, the roots and the soil, and it's all one like holistic flowing system? Mm. And are we putting foods into our body that are helping nourish and flourish that garden and growing it like we would. Um, and I thought that was a really beautiful analogy um, and something that I think about a lot now of working on my body as this whole holistic system. Yeah. It sounds like you've just taken, even, I mean, listening to you talk about your skin journey, it's brought you to this place of looking at everything in a more holistic way yeah. and, and understanding that there isn't just, I mean, you can, of, of course, 
treat your skin topically with external stuff but Mm. then if you can do the internal as well and have everything work together in harmony Mm. I guess is the point of it right holistic totally everything works together and and also having the strength to like really trust your intuition about what's right for you because when I was at my most vulnerable stage, I had different dermatologists and beauticians and people at work and makeup artists and friends and whoever else telling me, you should do this, you should do that, try that, try that. And I tried it all. Like I tried it all and my skin was so confused. My body was confused. I was confused. I was exhausted. And deep down, there had always been a voice in my head if I really listened to it that was like, I don't think you should be doing that thing. I don't think that's right for you. Mm. I don't think that's right for you. Um, And only after maybe, you know, two, three years of my journey, I started really listening to that voice and being like, that isn't right for me. Like, for example, um, cosmeceuticals and like quite strong active skincare generally wasn't that right for me. I was a lot better on simpler products, more natural stuff and less of them. Whereas prior to that, I'd been like eight different serums and all this stuff because that's what I was told to do. Yeah. It's got to get better before it, sorry, it's got to get worse before it gets better right. and all of that. Yeah. And so that's where I think, again, like really working on you and your mindset and what's important to you and taking that time to slow down brings out that intuition in yourself. 100%. And our intuition and our body knows everything. If we listen to it, our body tells us what we need. Exactly. It gives us cues and we've, it's our job really to listen to it. And I've heard you talk about this as well just in terms of um, movement. So I'll get into that to mm. ask you. I know people will be interested to know firstly what kind of exercise and workouts and training you you do and how many times a week you train? Well, you know what's so funny is when I was like, when I finished high school, I was just like not really into fitness. I just like, I didn't really love going to the gym. And I mean, I was always like, I was always quite slender. That was just my body type. I remember going to LA when I was like, 18, 19, doing the Runyon Canyon. And I oh, like, did you die? I couldn't even get out of it. <laughs> I was like, I think we're going to turn back now. Everyone's like, ah, oh, you can't. <laughs> it's a lot harder going down. <laughs> was like, oh, crap. Um, so weirdly enough, I just wasn't that into fitness and I always kind of wanted to be and I knew that it would be good for me and whatnot. And it wasn't until I found something, um, which was boxing, that I absolutely loved. We need to do a session. Oh, my God. I really (laughs) want to do a session with you. Yeah, yeah. waiting for you to give me a hard session. (laughs) I haven't done it in a long time. It's definitely my favorite workout. Awesome. And that's what's so important. I think that people find what they love because, like, for me, like, going to the gym, I hate it. And, like, pulling weights and whatnot, like, can't stand it. Mm. I'll basically just sit there on my phone and leave after 20 minutes. (laughs) Kind of thing. (laughs) Um which my boyfriend does as well, which is how I'm going to the gym. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay, I'm fine on Instagram. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was probably, yeah, like 19, 20, I, I found that and I was doing boxing like two, three times a week and I loved it. And then that brought on my excitement and passion for fitness. And I kept growing from there and then I started running. I loved running. Like, I got very competitive with myself, but I also found it very therapeutic. And from there, I just you know, kept exploring everything and I love training now. And I feel like I've got such a good routine. Um, There are a few like key things that I think are so fundamental in having a really good training regime, um, especially if you're working on a goal. Mm. Um, For me, like I'm really grateful I have my partner and we love working out together. So a few times a week we'll do that together. But when I used to live with housemates, we would, you know, do fun things together or I used to, you know, go to Pilates with friends um, and and kind of have that community and also someone to keep you reliable because it is hard and especially during winter. Like Mm. who the hell wants to get up before work to, you know, go work out? But if it also becomes like a social thing, it just makes such a difference. And I think then once you get to that point where you start realising like how good you feel, it just becomes the normal. And and now, you know, when I do miss a day of working out or if I'm hungover or something, (laughs) I really don't enjoy it. Like I don't, it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me feel as good. Um, But again, it's just so important to find like what works for you. And if you're like beating against the bush and you can't find that routine and that momentum and you feel like you're forcing yourself to do it, 
you've probably got to try different Something strategy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how many times do you reckon you train now every day? Um, I probably train at least five times a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes six. Yeah. Um, but also a very big believer, especially for females, listen to your body. I'm huge on our monthly cycles and I used to always push through. And the more that I got in tune with my body through all my own like personal health journey, the more I realized and became more aware of when my body would become really fatigued at certain times in the month when I'd push it too hard. So now, for example, just before a period, I won't run um, because I actually find it become so sensitive to it that I'll almost break out in stomach cramps during the run because mm. my body can't be exuding that extra energy while it's already feeling like it's getting depleted of iron and, and whatever else and exuding energy into other places. So um, that can be looked at as, I think, a weakness really commonly to slow down. And I think it needs that language needs to be completely switched around, that it's actually your strength and you feel so much more empowered when you listen to your body and like today, you know what, today I need to snooze in for half an hour or an hour and stay in bed and not exercise. And today I need to push my body and today I'm going to do yoga instead of a hit class and just really staying in tune with what your body is asking from you. And I think ultimately from all of that, you will end up stronger. It doesn't do the reverse where your body... And after one session, you you know, it doesn't change your body that much. No, it really session. doesn't. It's, no, it's collective over time. Um, so I think that's a really important message is to like listen to yourself and be gentle with your body as well. Yeah, 100%. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I have heard you say, talk about that specifically about mm. your cycle and listening to basically being body aware and understanding those signals again that your body gives you. Because mm. I think we do... It's cultural. It's cultural that we live in this society where, you know, we want to be productive and we have to keep working and we have to push through the pain or whatever. And if you feel like you just need a rest day or something, you almost feel guilty for that. Exactly. Right? And it's collective. Like we hear these, this messaging. It's indirect or direct or – but I think it's really important to remind ourselves so that. On. Yeah. And that's – it's the guilt. It's yeah. Like, I mean, I still get it. Yeah. I still get I do it. too. Yeah. yeah. Like – and if there's a day that, like, I don't feel, like, super productive with my work, I feel guilty. Yeah. And it's like, where do we get this conditioning from to think we have to be performing at, like, 110% every day? All the time, Like, yeah. it's just not sustainable. And even looking at, like, the seasons through the year, like, the seasons are cyclical. We're supposed to be cyclical beings. Mm. We're not supposed to be working at this, like, full ball, 110%, all day, every day, all year round. It's just not sustainable. And yeah. I think it'd just be so nice if we could start to really normalise a conversation around taking time out for you. And, you know, if you have been working hard for a, for a few years, taking a few months off is amazing if that's something that you can do. Or taking a long weekend off and not feeling the guilt around that. Or, you know, if you have a day that you feel like you're working more slow and you're not productive, maybe just switch off for the whole day and really lap up that you time mm. and that recharge time. Um, yeah, as you would obviously know, it just makes such a difference to our mindset, to our body, to our optimal function. 100%. Um, yeah. I think that's the way it has to start going. Yeah, and it's practice too. I think a lot of us who are very like, if you are type A and you do, you know, like to be on all the time or have to be on for work or whatever, it, it takes a little while to get used to slowing down and yeah. knowing what that feels like and being okay with slowing down. I know yeah. it's really hard for me to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think it is for a lot of people as well. And I yeah. think what you're saying, yeah, being a good advocate for self-care and, and yeah. listening to your body. I think it's actually really what important. Gabby Bernstein talks about a lot is slowing down to speed up. So we're kind of, you know, taught to believe that slowing down is going to mean that you're going to fall behind or that, you know, your work isn't taking priority. But you know, she kind of reinforces that slowing down actually gives you more clarity so that when you go back in, you're working at a much more efficient um, and clear pace. Um, so she always, yeah, kind of, and I, you know, I love her. She's one of my favourite favorite teachers. And yeah, she's one of mine too. <laughs> she's fantastic. Um, I just love it. Um, yeah, getting that clarity and being being more focused and and all of that comes from slowing down. Yeah, 100%. One of the other things too, like obviously being a health coach and understanding that there are different approaches to eating. I'm curious to know whether you adhere to a particular system of eating. I know any kind of, there's, there's many different ways to go about your nutrition and they all can work depending on 
who you are, what your goals are, where your body's at. So what is it for you? Do you have a framework that you stick to or loose kind of philosophy around your nutrition? Uh, My belief is that um, everybody uh, is an individual working system and something that was ingrained in me in my course was the concept of bio-individuality. So every person is going to respond so differently to everything. So there's definitely not like a one-piece fits all. Something I was also taught was like this concept of primary and secondary food. So primary food is not actually the nutrition or the food you put on your plate. It's actually more things around mindset and your life and your career and your state of mind is almost more important initially because if you're not in check in that area, for example, if you're really stressed, it doesn't matter how well you eat, your body's not actually going to receive those nutrients in the same way. So ensuring that that is something that is covered and there's not like huge um, out of balance in those areas in your life is like really fundamental. Mm -hmm. And then uh, secondary food is the food that you put inside uh, your body and your nutrition. Personally, I am someone who doesn't, I'm not like super strict and I'm not, um, I don't adhere to a specific diet, but what I've learned through my journey is what foods work well for my body. And I'm very big on listening to my body on what it's asking for me. Mm-hmm. And that kind of 80 20 rule, like I don't really ban myself from eating anything, but I know that overall I want to be giving my food better nutrients. Um, some people need a bit more structure and need more um, of a specific kind of diet, but I think diets. That whole word, you know. The word is dangerous. The word is dangerous. It is. And I think it's a lot better to have a whole balanced diet overall Mm. permanently than kind of doing these like diet challenges or weight loss challenges or whatnot and actually just making your diet your normal routine. So. And then also what I think is really important is working with um, someone who can help you determine what's actually really good for your body. So for example, me still going through my health journey, um, I'm very big on smoothies for breakfast and loading them with like superfoods and supplements. And I just love all that stuff. Um, I actually used to have a superfood uh, powder company when I was like 18 that I started <laughs> like I just love superfoods. Oh my goodness. But I was recently told by my naturopath that, and she follows like Ayurvedic um, traditional practices, mm-hmm. that my body um, it shouldn't be having cold foods right now. So mm-hmm. to be having a cold smoothie as soon as I wake up is probably one of the worst things I can do, be doing for what my body needs right now. Mm-hmm. So instead I have bone broth for breakfast at the moment in the mornings. Um, but... I'm also someone who is quite like social and I go out for dinners a lot and that's something that I found was difficult to navigate um, diet and food, um, what I was putting in and not having control over all the little things that were added into meals. So, I mean, there are multiple things around this. I think the first thing is not to be like too hard on yourself. I think the more you're like a super, super restrictive and controlled with yourself, almost the worse that it gets because again, it puts that stress on the body that we're talking about like the primary foods affecting your mindset. So I think having just a more um, balanced approach is a lot healthier. Um, and then just being conscious of your um, your reasons and, and why you're doing it. So for example, you know, I go out for dinner now, um, but my reasons for wanting to be healthier are so much more important than that dinner. So you know, I used to order dessert all the time years ago when I'd go out for dinner, which would be way too often. <laughs> or French fries. I was a yeah. big sucker for French fries. So Love French fries. Love French fries. <laughs> but it's interesting that once my mindset had, mindset had really shifted mm. and that came with my skin breakout journey, um, once that mindset changed, I found myself going out for dinner and actually just being able to say no to those things yeah. and actually being able to have them in front of me and being like, actually, that's really not going to serve my body. Um, and so I'm not going to have it. And so all that was, again, that continual practice and reminder of like what's really important to me here, mm. what are my beliefs and, and am I nourishing my garden, mm. you know? It comes back to that intuitive, it's intuitive eating because mm-hmm. sometimes we default to certain foods and, and everybody has these where you might be going through something and you default reach for, everybody has their thing. Mine mm. is chips. Like I will eat chips oh God, all the chips. time, <laughs> chocolate or whatever. You yeah, have yeah, your yeah. thing. And like hot chips or like... 
Packet chips. Packet chips. Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> but packet chips, are like, I'm, I'm like a connoisseur of like Smith's chips. I can oh. tell you, like, all the special limited edition, like, <laughs> flavors that they've brought out, which ones were good, which ones were bad. Oh, like, they had Lamington that. ones a while ago, and I was what? like, what is this? They were gross. So <laughs> yeah, gross. That sound ideal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to love that. So everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their thing. Yeah. And even people that you think don't have things, everybody has oh, their thing, God. right? Everyone has everyone their has thing. Everyone has their thing. So yeah. it's just more about, I mean, there are definitely times where, yeah, if you can check in with your body, like sometimes you don't feel like the thing that you think you want. Mm-hmm. It's just a default thought that tends to come in, right? Totally, right. exactly. And as soon as you can bypass that, that almost craving or that thought, um, you know, you've tricked your brain and it's like, I actually, yeah. I actually don't want that. I, yeah. just, I just thought I did or that was that sugar craving kicking in. Yeah. I thought I wanted. That's why I'm actually a big, um, you've probably seen this all over my socials, but a big um, advocate for fasting. Mm. As, it's do you do so, intermittent fasting? Um, I used to yeah. and I actually love it. Yeah. Uh, at the moment I'm not because I prefer having uh, something warming and to, and to also I'm working on, you know, improving my energy levels. So I prefer to have a bit more sustenance, but I do quite like intermittent fasting when I've done it and some people love it. Um, but I do um, juice fasting uh, for sometimes two days, sometimes three days. I'm soon attempting a five-dayer. Wow. You're going to have to let me know how you go with that. I will. It'll be a good reset for the body though. It is the most amazing reset Mm. and it helps to fight all those cravings. And also I think as a society, we we really overconsume. Our body has actually got so many fat storages and energy storages in it, but because we're constantly consuming food every meal, it doesn't really tap into them. So that's where you can get your excess fat or where food stores up. But also what happens is... The body has a natural detoxifying system and when it's too busy digesting food, those detoxifying processes don't have a chance to kick in because energy is beginning put into digestion. So once you stop um, eating for, I think it's around the 48-hour mark is when it's kind of cleared everything out and then the detoxifying processes can come back in. And I think that's so vital because it's such a healthy phase to get to. And it's amazing that Every time, everyone I know who fasts, after doing it, they have so much more energy. It's actually, it does the reverse. You're depleting your body from food for a while, but it's got its storage units and it then doesn't spend so much energy on digesting. And so you have more food, uh, so you have more energy and you wake up feeling lighter and you have more clarity and all your cravings are gone. Yeah. And get that craving for your sugar and whatnot. Coffee is another one. <laughs> if I'm to cut out, sometimes this is my little weakness. I do keep coffee in some of my fast just because my Coffee partner, you can I, as long as it's long, like long blacks. Yeah, You should be exactly, able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just dependent on what you want from it. If you want like a full like caffeine detox, yeah. which can be really beneficial as well, especially if you're someone, you know, is battling with different adrenal things or it's super dependent on caffeine. Um, that's something I might look at doing one, maybe once a year, twice a year, but I find that I definitely have withdrawals from pulling back from yeah. caffeine. Um, which is completely normal, just depending what you want from the fast. Um, but yeah, my partner and I, we do them all the time. We, you know, sometimes two day or three day, uh, oh, I just feel so good. You're going to have to <laughs> let me know five days. I have, to, I definitely have yeah. done a 40, I've done a 48 hour fast before. It was pretty tough, but mm. you definitely want you come out of the other side. Um, yeah, it resets it resets everything, but also resets mm. your. It's the the mind to body connection in terms of your associations with certain foods. And like we're talking about cravings, yeah. which is what a craving is, mm-hmm. is basically you've got a certain maybe it's an emotion or time of day or something that's connected mm-hmm. to this particular food. But breaking that pattern is what a fast will do. Essentially, exactly. is what we're talking about. So spot on. Yeah, it's not Absolutely. so much. I think there's a perception around fasting that it's like people want to lose weight. I mean, that Mm. may be one reason for people doing it, but from Mm. a health perspective, from a wellness perspective, it's more about almost breaking the behavioral patterns and that's connected to the mindset really is what we're talking about. And you realize how attached your mindset is to it. Like initially, as you were saying, like when I, you know, first started doing doing fast, it was so hard, but more for the mindset thing because I like my mouth missed chewing. I was like, (laughs) I just miss food so much. This was like, you know, 12 hours in, like yeah. I just want to eat. And you realise like how strong that mindset connection is to food. It's like, I need this and I want this. It doesn't actually need it. Um, and so breaking that and, again, getting that um, control over your mindset, like incredible. And, and and the more you keep doing it, it obviously gets easier. You know, now I can almost – the last time I did a three-day fast was probably two weeks ago and it was – 
pretty much a breeze, to be honest. So it gets easier. Yeah, um, but it just again, becomes routine and habit then once yeah. you've done it after a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Coming back to self-care, because you're a huge advocate for that, obviously, I'm curious to know what your self-care routine is and specifically your morning routine because mm-hmm. one of the things that is really important in terms of, I think, our health overall is just how you start your day is how you live your day. Massively. By Louise Hay. That's a quote of hers. So how do you start your day? So, um, yes, definitely I think routine is very important, having your own practices. For me, like meditation is massive. Mm. Um, I learned to meditate almost when I was seven just because my mum would do it so much and I was around it and she kind of properly got me into meditation school when I was 16. So it's kind of always been there but it's something I have fluctuated with whether I, you know, I'm doing it so much at one time or not. But what I've really learned is that when I'm not doing it, how out of balance I am and uncentered and ungrounded. Um, So even like 10 minutes in the morning just to like re-centre my thoughts and... I just feel like sets up my whole intention for the week. I feel like I'm a better person and I'm better to other people when I've had that uh, moment to myself. And this one massive, which is, you know, a pretty common one is expressing gratitude. Mm -hmm. So like, especially all throughout lockdown last year, I would uh, write in a gratitude journal, three minutes in the morning, three minutes at night. Um, and it is amazing. Like gratitude really is one thing that massively shifts the mindset out of almost any situation, um, and helps to lead to that feeling of contentment and happiness. And, you know, most of us, you know, listening to this podcast is really, you know, there's not much we don't, we, we wouldn't be able to be grateful for, you know, even being able to just wake up in a bed, um, and have a roof over our head is so much more than, you know, almost half the world's population can say, like it's huge. Um, so gratitude is massive for me. And then, um, I love working out in the mornings now. Cause again, it just like wakes me up for the day and it gets me alert. Um, and yeah, I used to, I used to be the opposite, but I just, I don't know. I think working out in the mornings, it just gets everything like stimulated and flowing and then having my bone broth and those nice little things and taking that time. But I'm also a big believer and your nighttime habits are also just as important. Yeah, what's your evening um, routine? Yeah, so um, I have a few things that I'm kind of religious that I do each night. Is um, So firstly, when it starts to get dark, um, I'll normally put on um, blue light blocker glasses. Oh, nice. Because um, I really feel like, especially someone you know, who uses their phone a lot for work and stuff, um, definitely helps. Uh, with, um, you know, stopping like eye strain and eye soreness or redness, but just helping uh, get your melatonin production going and stimulated for the night um, to get to get you into a good um, sleepful state. Another little hack that I love that my partner taught me um, was actually like pulling out your clothes um, for tomorrow, the night before. Um, and it's amazing like how much that speeds up your morning routine yeah. the next day. You just got that little bit more, just that, you know, extra five minutes to lay out your clothes. It just, it makes you feel like so much more organized. Wow, I've got to try that. I've never um, done that before. Yeah, it's yeah. a really good okay, one. Okay, cool. Um, and then also we try and switch off devices by a reasonable hour. I've definitely become more of a nana since <laughs> lockdown. And I love an early night. Like this is like embarrassing, but some nights I can be in bed at like seven o'clock. Oh, wow. <laughs> I might sit on my laptop for an hour or whatever, but screens off ideally by like eight or nine and try and be asleep by like nine thirty ten um is the routine that I'm trying to keep up at the moment I just feel so much better for it and yes people are night owls and I used to call myself a night owl however I have found that my like overall energy is actually so much better once I've trained myself to get to bed early and to and to wind down and to get up early I just feel like my days are longer more fits in um so I don't know. I guess that's kind of my little hack. Um, but I think they're probably the most, yeah, the ones that I do religiously. Yeah, I like those. Yeah. Especially the evening routine. I think that's one thing too to be conscious of winding down, especially with the devices. I feel like that's a big one for a lot of us. Mm. I, I know for me, like I definitely have to take like social media breaks where I'll literally delete the app for a few days. Fantastic. Just so that I am not on it because mm. when it's there you can say to yourself don't go on it but the temptation is always there to just I'll just exactly. click on it and see what's going on or has, has somebody messaged me or do I need to do this totally. so I think it's really important totally and I remember when I started you know when you know Instagram kind of boomed 
and I was using my phone so much and, you know, Instagram was getting in the way of my normal life. Like <laughs> everywhere I went, it was like, had to be on Instagram. Yeah. And then I got to a point, I was like, I don't really like how this is like dictating my mind and my life. Mm. So I made a really conscious effort to be like, work is work and that is, and you know, me time is me time and to not, and I almost started considering even flicking through Instagram as work, which I guess it's not for many people, but I think just being aware of how much your phone is having control over your life or over your mindset, like how many times your brain is thinking, oh, I need to check that. Oh, should I check my notifications? Oh, should I check that? You'd be shocked at how many times your brain is thinking that. Um, So being able to, I think what you do is fantastic, like to have social media detox times um, or to be really conscious about at night switching it off and and doing something else and, and trying to replace the habit with something else. Something else, yeah. That doesn't um, include a screen, basically. Yeah. And even, you know, it's so easy much. to just watch, you know, Netflix or whatever. But I think, and which is fine sometimes. Sometimes you just need to switch off and just yeah. watch watch some TV. Um, but what I'm trying to do, you know, during the week more so is, you know, light some incense, make a really calming mood, dim the lights and just like really settle time. Like this is, you know, preparation for like you do with a baby, you know. Like you spend so much time like getting a baby ready for sleep, Um, you know, whether it's reading a book or a bath and, you know, a good like hour process to, you know, settle that child. But it's no different for us, especially it's probably even more because we've got so much going on during the day. So you need to have that time to just settle ourselves. So set that environment and then then I'll try and read or, you know, have some time with my partner and discuss our weeks and Settle. Yeah. (laughs) And I think too, like framing, I mean, not everyone can do this because it's not applicable to everyone, but framing social media as being like work. And I learned that from Eileen actually. Yeah. Because I remember talking to her and I was like, I just, and this was before I even really was on social media. I was like, Mm -hmm. I feel so weird doing this stuff and like taking selfies and all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. I mean, she, she's on her socials a lot too, but she just sort of said to me like, it's, it's work. Mm -hmm. But understanding that it's work and then having a moment to switch off is like such a great like boundary for it rather than it just being like, it's just social media and you know. Exactly. It's It's like you go to the office and then you switch off. Yeah. You work from home, you generally got like a desk or an office at home and then you leave and you switch off. Yeah. I think um, our phones can be looked at the same, like not something to be attached to our limbs 24-7 like they are. Yeah, we have to be more conscious around that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I like that you touched on meditation before and I know that you've been practicing for a long time. So I'm really curious to know because you started practicing early and you're, you you sort of visited ashrams and stuff when you yeah. were young, right? Yeah. Quite regularly. So can you talk me through how... I guess being around a spiritual environment or being exposed to different spiritual philosophies has had an impact on how you live your life and what that experience was like as you were growing up. Huge, I think. Because um, not everybody gets that. I mean, no, it was, it very, it's a very, it was a very rare, rare upbringing, I think, mm. especially in our culture. And for those of you who don't know what an ashram is, it's kind of um, you know a, a, a Indian lineage where you have a guru or a mentor kind of speak um, each week on, on different topics and, and religious beliefs and meditation and chanting. And oh my god, I loved it when I was younger. You loved it, the chanting? I loved it. Really? It was just the most like you just felt this. It was just such a beautiful energy, like mm. everyone together and. Just the movement and the energy and the sounds that it creates, I just found it so warming. But as I got older, my early teens, I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> Why is my mom dragging me into this? I it's hate so not it. Cool. It's so not cool. I remember telling one of my friends and they're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, never going to forget this again. Um, it's so funny how as a child, you know, you reframe these things, but when I got to about 16, that's when my similar time my mom put me into meditation course. Um, it's also when, you know, school starts to get a little bit harder and then, you know, VCA pressure kicks in. And I found that I had these practices that were so grounding. So if I ever went to like a school camp or I was stressed, uh, you know, and I was sorry, at the school camp and I was maybe lonely or stressed or whatever, uh, not feeling comfortable in my environment or whether I was, you know, going through an exam and I was really stressed, I, without even realizing, had been taught these different practices to recenter myself. So through meditation, I was given a mantra, uh, which I would, as a kid, like kind of say to myself, and it would just like reconnect me to myself, and it would just ground 
everything. Um, other practices we learned were things about like checking in with your body and different like chakra points and things my mum would always do with me when I was younger if I was stressed or upset to check in and see where that emotion was sitting. And so then just by default, I ended up being able to do that unconsciously on my own. I was just so forever grateful and I am forever grateful to this day for having those practices because it's gotten me through so much, you know. Yeah, um, and and I guess also then realizing uh, at that point like how many different like spiritual philosophies are out there in the world and how much there kind of is to explore and what kind of things we can learn to help our ultimate um, health and well-being. And I think that's why I love like partly spirituality. I mean, there's religion, which is great and some people need religion, but I think the one flaw with religion is it's very controlled. Like you have to live this certain way to get this um, better life or this sense of happiness or approval from God or whatever it may be. Whereas I personally believe that spirituality is about finding your own uh, practices within that and your own beliefs within that and your own, um, you get guidance and you find your own direction within that to figure out what's best for you and what works in your own individual life experience. Um, and that's why I love learning so many different spiritual practices and philosophies and then taking what works, what for, works you. for me. 100%. Um, which I think is so important. Um, I love that it's becoming more um, mainstream now, I guess, especially meditation, like so common. Definitely. But there are so many levels you can go to within it, whether it is just your 10-minute meditation in the morning to kind of recenter yourself or whether it's like, if anyone knows, like a Joe Dispenza meditation where you hear about people doing these like huge like cancer healing, like, mm. you know, meditation things where they spend two years meditating for two hours a day on power of the mind and healing their body and go through these incredible like transformations and, and healing. So I think the the capabilities or sorry, the potential that's out there from different practices um, and for you finding what's right for you is massive. Yeah, there's different varying degrees to which you can practice meditation. Mm. And like you said, there's ones that are specifically for healing if you want to do that or like Vispasana, that's a silent one that they mm. do for like 10 days. I know one of my, my friends has done that, which to me sounds like, oh my goodness, like 10 <laughs> days of not talking or anything. I know. But I really want to do one. <laughs> <laughs> a good challenge but, for sure for the mind. Yeah. So for people who, because sometimes meditation, I think if you if you don't currently meditate or have never meditated before, it can be quite of a daunting thought to yeah. sit on a bit. You know, I think perception is like, if you've never meditated before, I definitely thought this before I meditated. It was like, okay, so I'm just supposed to sit on a meditation pillow and like kind of om for like 10 minutes or yeah. something, <laughs> right? But I mean, you know, and that might be the case yeah, for some yeah. people. You don't have to meditate like that. But what would your suggestion be for people who are newer or haven't really done meditation to start yeah. with? Because, you know, yeah, we're talking about 10-day silent retreat. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that sounds that's way too hectic. Exactly. What would your suggestion be? Um, firstly, I think it's important to remember that they call it meditation practice for a reason as a practice. Yeah. So just like you'll learn, when you learn a language and you have to devote so much time to being able to speak that language, it's no different um, to meditation where you have, you're retraining your brain um, to think a different way or to stop thinking, which if you've never done that your whole life, that's going to be pretty tough to do. So firstly, remember that to be kind to yourself, that it is a practice and it's a learning experience. So not to feel like if I go and sit down and I can't stop my brain, I can't stop thinking, like that's normal. Like don't beat yourself up about it and don't think it's not for me, I can't do it because that's where everyone starts. Secondly, I think a great way to start is really simplistically. So I was speaking to someone recently who started meditating 30 seconds a day for a month. Mm -hmm. That's it, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And just from doing that, one, the habit was put in place, but two, he started seeing, feeling like what that, where the benefits were coming from. And so then just grew up from there. 
um, or whether you want to add 30 seconds each day or however you want to do it. Just start really gently and then explore what different meditation practices are out there. Like research different like teachers. Like there's so much information out there right now um, that you will find something that works for you. Some people love mantra meditation, like transcendental. Other people love um, more like breathwork meditation. Other people just love listening to music. Other people like being in silence. Like there are so many different types. So have fun with it. Like get creative with it, explore it. And I also don't think meditation has to be this thing where you have to be like sitting in complete silence and no thoughts like for an hour or whatever it is. Meditation can also be, you know, taking time and actually settling the mind, but also allowing different thoughts to come up and witnessing them, but not attaching to them, Mm -hmm. just seeing them come through, be the observer. You might even learn something from them but then try and let them go rather than going deep into the rabbit hole. Mm. And the more you do it over time, the more you become the witness to the thoughts as a, and controlling them as opposed to them controlling you. Again, practice. Yeah. And I like that you touched on that too because being the witness to your thoughts is a, I mean, it's a really fundamental spiritual practice, mm-hmm. self-awareness. And so this is perfect because we're going to now talk about Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, we, we're both big fans of Eckhart. And um, you recently, I think, have spoken about reading A New Earth. And what was the biggest thing you took away from that? Because there are elements of exactly what you just said mm-hmm. about being self-aware and understanding the different parts of yourself. So tell me what you've learned from Eckhart yeah. in this latest read. Well, there's a few different things I've learned from Eckhart over the years that have stuck with me as well from The Power of Now. I love what he says about all problems are illusions of the mind. So every situation is as it is, but it's our reaction to it that is ultimately what we feel and experience. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, of course, acknowledge emotions and see different things come up, but then letting that move through and then almost, again, witnessing detaching from that situation, that event or that problem, because generally it's something that we actually have created in our head or something that's out of our control at that point. And once you kind of have that more like surrender kind of sensation, things actually flow better for you because you're not fighting against the natural flow of life. You're not butting against a wall, trying to block something that's kind of out of your power. Mm. And the more you release and let go and surrender, the more flow that like comes back to you because that's just the natural like harmony and energy of life. Things just flow when there's a positive intention going with them. Um, A New Earth was a fantastic read. Like, oh my God, he covers so much. I think I marked every corner (laughs) that book. I went back, it's like, ah, okay. I'm going to have to read this book like 10 times. Um, But, you know, there were definitely key things that stood out. Um, I love how he talks about like the egoic self and the I and like what the ego really means Um, and, and detaching from the ego, like not identifying with it and we're given all these labels in life of who we are. I'm, I'm Tess, I'm a model, I live in Melbourne, I do this and that and that's me. But who am I without those labels? Yeah. And what am I and, and what is the person I want to be and, and what do I believe in? Like who is me without all of that? And he asks you so many questions throughout the book which which make you reflect on yourself and these things that you just take for complete acceptance or for gospel because that's what we're told to do. Mm. So it really gets you thinking and questioning and also about like strategies of how you like deal with other people in your life or the way you navigate life, the way you identify success. Mm. Um, all these things, he, he questions you and then he gives you practical tips on how you can like reframe that thinking or how you can find more like flow within it. Yeah. So it's not like so wishy-washy in my opinion. It's like... Yeah, because a lot of spiritual philosophy, I think, like especially when you're new to it, like it can be so overwhelming. Like you're just like, what? Uh, what is this? Like, what, 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 what is this? Yeah. yeah. And I think like just even that first part of understanding the egoic self, because we're talking about also like the ego as we know it in culture today, It what he's saying is sli- a slightly different meaning in that, you know, you talk about people having an ego or something like that. That's not really what he's saying. He's talking about the the false self or the created self yeah. that we attribute certain labels to and and also culture perpetuates this because, mm. you know, that's how we identify, we recognise other people. But understanding that that's not who we truly are mm-hmm. at the core of it yeah. all, right? And mm. so um, I think 
Yeah, it's such a great read. So if you haven't read the book, yeah. A New Earth, make sure you read it. Definitely. But yeah, one so, of my so favourites good. in a while, I think. So, so good. Yeah. So good. Power of Now too, I think it was my favourite book for, you know, since I was 18. Yeah, it was one I that found really... The Power of Now to be more dense than A New Earth too. Did you find Interesting. that? I feel like when I read it, I was younger and so I found... I mean, maybe more dense, I guess. I just found it was like filled with so much. much yeah. So it stuck with me for so long. Yeah. But I do think the power of now is a quite a good like starting base um, for anyone who's, you know, getting into spirituality because he touches a lot on, you know, it's really focused around like the present moment and things that I think spirituality like really stems off um, connecting with like the self. The self, yeah. The I, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's they're two, those two books, Power of Now and, and New Earth, I think, fundamental to read totally. yeah yeah I, I remember reading them really young too late teens you you take that with you and then you can always go back to the book and when you're yeah. older you understand more you take different things from it so exactly every time you read it something different something like different stands pops out, out to you yeah. and I think if you're really again following your intuition it's the things that stand out for you it's what you're most like you know desiring and or needing to hear at that time yeah 100% that's a message that is yeah. going to help you with whatever it is that you're going through it's like I'll tell you a quick moment. story um, I was listening to a Gabby Bernstein podcast the other day because yes. she's just had a podcast and I love her Dear Gabby Dear Gabby <laughs> yeah where people like you know call in and ask questions yes um, but she always pulls a card at the start of her uh, podcasts and she pulled this card and it was something about, um, I'm not going to get it word for word, but it was something about, you know, when I'm most connected um, to my spiritual practices, that things like flow uh, with ease in my life. And she read it and I was like, oh, this is really relevant to me right now just because I feel like I've been really busy. I haven't been like super strict with my meditation practices recently. I feel like I miss it, I'm a bit like, off-centred. But I'm going to come back to this podcast later on. I'm going to write it down. I've got a pen and paper. And so... I thought about that anyway. That night I went to go have dinner with some friends and a couple of my friends have just been to Gwingana Retreat in New South Wales, wow. health retreat. Uh, and they've been back for about a month, but I haven't seen them. And they said, oh, Tess, we've got your little present. I said, oh, great. And they pulled out this uh, deck of cards, purple deck. Purple is like my favourite colour just because I think it's got awesome meanings behind it. It makes me feel happy. So they pulled out <laughs> this purple deck and it was a Gabby Bernstein deck of cards. Now, Gabby's got multiple decks of cards. Of cards yeah. Anyway, they said, we've got your present. I said, oh, that's so nice. I was listening to her today. Like, I love her so much. And it's purple. It's just so perfect. <laughs> and of all the deck of cards in that shop, like that's the one you got me. Like, Thank you so much. And I opened it up and I like pulled the top card off to pull the second card off. And then the card sitting there, it was a card that I heard that day in the wow. podcast. And I thought, I really need to write that down. And there it was presented in front of me. And yes, that's just like, you know, just a little reminder, but I love those. You could call them coincidences, but I feel like that's universe talking to you when you're open to receiving these messages Mm. um, and feeling more aligned with yourself that these messages do come to you when you're ready for them. And that was just that reminder again, like, yes, Tess, like you need to hear this, like stay focused on your practices and things will continue to flow for you. Yeah. 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 I love that. Those kind of synchronicities that we can't explain. A lot of those times it's things that are, yeah, not in our control and they just kind of happen and you're like, oh, yeah. wow, this is really cool. Yeah. 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 So amazing. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to uh, talk to all my guests about is rejection and failure mm-hmm. because we all experience it. And I think, you know, sometimes we can be fearful about doing things because we're scared to fail or we're scared to be rejected. Everybody experiences it in various different areas of life. So I'm really interested to know what has been your biggest failure or rejection and what have you learned from it? That is a big question. Um, (laughs) Fear of failure is a massive thing um, and something that I think I have suffered from. I think rejection, okay, so I'll go back to that. I think rejection is something that I try and look at as happening for a reason. I think I'm a big believer in like the universe always has um, what's supposed to be right for me set out for me. And if I am getting rejected for something, it's because the universe has a bigger plan for me or another plan uh, in store for me. And again, going back, like when I think you have that kind of mindset that you're not butting against something that's happening and you're just in acceptance of it, um, obviously like strive for things and fight for things but and have goals, but be open to the flow that life's presenting you. I think when you can reframe that rejection to being like, okay, there's another doorway that's going to open for me is when you live in more harmony in your life. Mm. I and think Gabby Bernstein says rejection is redirection. That's her. Yes, that's you're her right. Yes. <laughs> you're right, yes. Um, and then like failure like is so normal. 
everyone has to fail and failing is our biggest lessons. It's where our biggest, like, it's where our biggest transformations can happen, you know, and it's tough. Um, and I think, especially with society, like, fear of failure is so prevalent because our goals and ambitions and expectations are so high. Um, and I, as I said before, like I know personally that I've had my own battles of fear of failure and it's so different to everyone. I think like whether it's you're too scared to dive in head first or whether you start heaps of projects or heaps of things at once or you don't put yourself out there because of what happens. But I think once you step back and again, like trust that whatever you do, like you will be okay, whether even if you fail, the worst thing will be that you learn yeah. and like that's rocks. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. so great. Yeah. So the worst thing that can happen is that you're okay. And when you start to tell yourself that, it, it makes it easier and, you know, there's no doubt like the human experience we're going to, we're going to feel that fear, we're going to feel that failure, but we move through it, you know, and the more, again, you keep trusting why things are happening for you, the easier it is and becomes. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely a great way to look at it so that it doesn't stop you from doing things that you want to do in your life, you know. Exactly. Last question. Okay. If you had an overarching statement that you try to live your life by, what would that be? I think that is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Big ones at the end. Lots (laughs) coming through my head, but I think um, for me, like grasping every opportunity in life. I'm a big believer in like you've got one life and it's there to be lived, not to be wasted. And so take advantage of every opportunity that comes to you and every moment and every day because if there's something that you can look back on and be like, I'll regret not doing that when I'm on my deathbed, do it today because there's no better time, you know. We can put things off forever but, you know, time goes quickly. Um, And so grasping every moment of life there's so much out there to see there's so much precious beautiful things that the world has provided us with um and people and connections and whatnot so grasp every opportunity and maximize your life for what it can be love it so good (laughs) thanks tess for joining me it's been such a lovely chat so lovely so good to chat to you thank you so much for having me i really um feel very wholesome after that conversation it actually has felt very very wholesome and and by the way we're sitting in tess's um beautiful office which is very very serene which is so nice it's made me feel very very serene (laughs) glad the energy i'm going for (laughs) (laughs) so where can people find you if you if they want to find you yeah so um you can find me on instagram tess shanahan pretty easy or my website which uh is testtalks.com.au and you can find all links to events coming up and obviously all blogs and uh, videos and all kinds of content. So yeah. yeah, very exciting. Make sure you head on over and check out Tess and upcoming announcements on her next Tess Talks, which will be soon, hopefully. Yes. Make sure you screenshot this episode, guys, and share it to your IG stories tag at Tess Shanahan and at Rach Active. And thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Rach Active Podcast.